0: Well, good morning, Browncroft. It's always so nice to be fellowshipping with you guys. This morning we are kicking off our Make Room series, Um, but I don't want to make the assumption that everyone here knows who I am. So I am Ashley Cross. I am the executive director of the Hub Five Eight Five, but I'm also the senior pastor. I I pastor alongside my husband Melvin Cross Jr. uh, Glory House International, and we are located in the center of the city, One Eleven North Chestnut, right downtown. Um, So I am here today. I um, always say Browncroft is just extended family. So if you don't know who I am, I am your long lost cousin. And um, I'm not here every single Sunday, but we're family. So it's a pleasure and it's an honor uh, to be back with you all this morning. Uh, throughout this four week series, we will be emphasizing the importance of intentionally making room in our hearts and in our lives for hope, love, peace and the joy that Christ brings through the Advent season and beyond. Each sermon will provide practical insight and spiritual guidance to help us prepare for the coming of our Savior and to live out the message of Advent in our daily lives. About five weeks ago, I felt the Lord calling me into a place, a season of consecration, as I normally always spend the end of the year uh, reflecting, but this time it felt a little different. I felt like the Lord really wanted me to clear the clutter in my heart um, by leaning into intentional time away from distractions uh, so that I can lean into his word and the truth and find security in the word. And so for me, consecration, a part of the direction that the Lord gave me was to pull away from all social media, as that is one of the biggest distractions I have, um, and just to really anchor myself into a season of silence and reflection and just remembering God's word and his promise as we prepare um, for this next season. So I have been making room for Jesus to have the space that he needs in my life and in my heart to do whatever it is that he chooses. Uh, This time of the year, it always offers a very interesting uh, dichotomy for me. I experience the, the deep feeling of gratitude and fulfillment as I reflect on my life and God's goodness. Um, I get to do amazing work that I know that I was created to do. I, I married a man that only makes me better and leaves space for me to do what God has designed me to do. Um, but I also experience the other side of that as a part of my work as I work with marginalized and system impacted families and to see people living um, in immense poverty and trying to climb themselves out of years and years and decades of poverty and watching families um, begin to be torn apart because of illness and sickness and and, and ultimately because of sin um, is one of the saddest and sometimes it 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 Pulls me into seasons um, of sadness and grief, and it, it really reminds me of a couple. My husband and I had the privilege of walking alongside a few years ago. A newlywed couple who only weeks after getting married, the wife received a breast cancer diagnosis. It was the news that really crushed us all. It's like we were we were just celebrating. We were just celebrating their their love and their joy and the fulfillment of their union. We were just discussing their future together. A future that was filled with traveling and children and and future businesses and ministry together. It was a, a future that was filled with so much hope. And now this, a reality A reality of pain, of sickness, of confusion and and questions and and deep sadness. The beautiful future that was no longer the focus and, and now was being diminished by the current reality of what they had to face. Chemotherapy and months of sickness and the loss of hair and what could this end with? How could this story really end? And I believe that this is where many of us live every single day. We live between two realities. And if we were honest, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he lived between two realities. He was all God. He was all man. He originated in heaven, a place that knew no pain and came down to earth, a place of darkness and sin and pain. So our Savior understood the dichotomy that many of us live every single day. A world of two different realities. But today God is asking that in this season of Advent that we choose to make room for hope. So today I want you to turn with me to our scripture for today. We're going to come from Zechariah chapter 9 verse 12 and I'm going to read from the ESV. Return to your stronghold, O prisoner of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. If you're reading from the NIV, it says, Return to your fortress, your place of safety. In this scripture, we see Zechariah pointing to the promise of Jesus. He is promising the coming of our Savior. And a few verses up, Zechariah is shouting to the people of Israel, Behold, your king is coming. He is righteous and he's coming with the gift of salvation. But he's not coming like you expect him to come. He is coming in the most humble and lonely way. He will be the king to make the Pharisees whisper, This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Our king came in a very humble and lowly way. And here's the irony. The children of Israel were used to being prisoners. The children of Israel, they were used to being prisoners. But now they are being introduced to a new prison. The prison of hope through the entrance of a savior. So, today I want to introduce to you three ways to live as a prisoner of hope. Point number one like Jesus, we have to learn to master the middle. We have to learn to master the middle. This is the point where the children of Israel failed miserably, they did not know how to live in the middle. They didn't know how to be excited about the pursuit of a promise while not complaining about the current situation that they were in. They didn't know how to handle the transition from one place to another. They didn't know how to handle the ambiguity and the unanswered questions. But we can learn from them. We can learn to master the middle. If you've ever interacted with me outside of church you have spent some time listening to me probably teach on the science of hope. Most of the work that I do with system impacted families and those professionals who are called to work with them is I teach on the science of hope. And it was years ago in my studies, I came across the science of hope, which actually gives a scientific definition of hope. And that definition is hope is the belief that your future can be better than your past and that you have the power to make it better. And I was automatically attracted to that because it validated my faith. Hardly ever do I get to say that science and my faith agree. But in this case, science and my faith agree. And I love it because I could be talking to an atheist that doesn't believe in the Bible and I say, hey, your science... It actually started here in my Bible. Hope. Our faith tells us to focus on the future, but acknowledge the past. Science says focus on the future and acknowledge the past. Our faith tells us that there is a future when we choose Jesus, our hope science tells us that there is a future when we choose to focus on hope living in the middle recognizes it's both and not either or it's not choose to focus on your past or choose to focus on your future it's understanding that there's this weird dichotomy that makes my past relevant and my future even more relevant It's realizing that faith is grounded in the reality of the past and hope is grounded in the reality of the future. Faith is I trust God because I know what he has done for me. I know his word, which has already been spoken. Where hope is I trust God because I know what he will do for me. Hope says, I know that God has a plan for my life. Hope says, I know the answer is on the way. And that is what Zechariah is saying here. He's telling the the children of Israel, your answer is on the way. But he's not going to come looking the way you think he should look. He's not going to hang out with the people that you think he should hang out with. But the answer, your savior, your king, the Messiah, is on his way. Hope is mastering the middle between what God has done and what God will do. But the fact is that sometimes we forget the truth of the gospel of Jesus which leads us to the second point. To live as a prisoner of hope you have to come out of agreement with lies. You have to come out of agreement with with lies. I remember about two years ago, I had to walk myself through some personal deliverance to restore my hope. It was a hard season in my life and I had allowed myself to fall into believing what the enemy had to say about me and what he had to say about my future instead of what God had already spoken about my life. I remember sitting on my bed and I said, I'm a Christian. I am a Bible believing Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't have to live in despair. And I don't have to live hopeless. And I remember I put my hands on my head and I said, God, I believe that your thoughts and your plans towards me are good. And I come out of agreement with anything or anyone that tries to convince me otherwise. And that's where many of us are today. We have to acknowledge the fact that we have partnered with the enemy by listening to him and believing his lies. Nothing that the enemy has to say to us is true. Everything's a lie. Everything. And on the opposite, that everything that God says to us about us is true. Not partially, not just a little bit, not a small percentage, but 100% of God's word is true. So, if we're honest, we also have to understand that none of us—not a single person here—lives full of hope all day, every day. It just doesn't. It's not. it, It. It doesn't happen. But because the Holy Spirit lives on this inside of us, if we yield, he can correct us and he can restore us. When we live as prisoners of hope, we choose God's word over the enemy's lies and we only agree with Jesus. When we choose a prison of hope, we fight past how we feel and we push towards the fulfillment of God's purposes, of his promises through Christ Jesus. This is another moment where science and the Bible Agree. In the science of hope, hope is not a feeling, it's a belief. Jesus is always telling us, fight past how you feel and focus on what you know. Science tells us to do the same thing. Now, I don't want to minimize our suffering or our earthly challenges. All of us are battling in our hearts and we're battling in our minds every single day. We're fighting past depression and anxiety and loneliness and pride and grief and the sins of this world. But prisoners of hope recognize that because I have a future and it is good, I will not allow the lies of the enemies to distract me from the goodness of God. Being a prisoner of hope says I know what I feel, but I also am held bondage to the truth of the gospel. And anytime they don't align with one another, I have to choose my faith over my feelings. I have to choose hope over how I feel in this moment. The children of Israel had the beautiful promise of a king and a savior, but they kept believing their idols, they kept listening to the lies of the enemy causing them to forfeit the promise of God over their life. The third point is that we have to live with anticipation. We have to live with anticipation. What does this look like? I like to always say that hope holds the righteous hostage. Because we know that earth is not our home. And we understand that when I live a life of anticipation, I am choosing to believe that God's fulfillment and restoration is coming by way of Jesus Christ, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what the world tells me. There is a savior That's coming back for us one day full of glory. When we're held prisoners, we are essentially a hostage to the system that made the arrest. I love the way the scripture says that this present suffering is nothing to be um, compared to the glory that will be revealed. What the scripture is telling us is that when you choose Jesus, you choose to make that scripture your everyday reality. When I get out of bed, it doesn't matter how I feel. The fact of the matter is, is that I know that there is a place prepared for me that one day I will be joined with Jesus and none of this suffering will matter. Pain and suffering challenges our theology. When we were walking with that young couple, I remember looking my husband in the face and I said, I don't want to say this in front of them, Mel, but we have to prepare ourselves, right? Because one of the most, one of the the largest like the biggest middle ground in my life is the role of a pastor. Because one day I could be at a funeral and the next day I could be at a wedding. One day I can be rejoicing with a woman who just had a baby, the next I could be weeping with one who just had a miscarriage. It's that it's that in between. It's that middle. It's that that's teetering between so much deep joy and fulfillment and so much sadness. And I remember asking my husband, what if she doesn't make it? How are we going to support her newlywed husband that's been waiting so many years to find the love of his life? How are we going to explain that to him? And we said, well, we would have to challenge his theology. We'd have to make sure that he understands that if she's not here with him, she's in heaven with our king. The challenge is that we've learned to love this world. And it has shifted our focus from the ultimate promise, which is a promise of full restoration, no pain, no suffering, fullness of glory and to be reconciled with Christ. If all I currently have is all I will ever have, I have enough because Jesus is everything and he accomplished so much through his birth. I want to wrap this sermon up by showing you a picture that I believe illustrates the very essence of what it feels like to be a prisoner of hope. (laughs) Pregnancy. (laughs) Being pregnant is the most exciting yet scary emotion struck experience I've ever had. It's full of so much excitement, so many high highs, so many low lows. And my, my most recent baby, nine months old, Riley Jade Cross, she tested me. <laughs> I told everybody, Riley's going to come at 36 weeks because so did Harper and so did Madison. And that's just what my body's going to do. It's going to keep having babies at 36 weeks. 36 weeks came and it, go- it was gone and i said okay she's going to come at 37 she's just going to 37 weeks 37 and a half and what happened was i started to get frustrated what's taking so long you're ready you're done you're fully baked you can come out now and the truth of the matter is is that is that is life that we love the goodness of god and the blessings that he has given us here on earth But the truth of the matter is, is this isn't our home and nothing here is ours. We are living here on earth for one reason. We're waiting for the return of our king. And while we wait, the only thing that matters is that we tell people the gospel of the good news that there was a king who lived in heaven. There's a full, full God. And he decided, he didn't have to, that he wanted to put flesh on and come down here to save us from sin. The only thing that matters here on earth is expanding our family of faith by telling people like Zechariah, our king, he's coming. Imagine Mary, imagine Mary carrying the savior of the world, the king of the Jews who will come to bring life to the world. He is our king coming to save us, but he is her son coming to die. Mary mastered the middle. Imagine the excitement of carrying the savior of the world while still having to live in the middle of people's opinion about how you got pregnant. That's the middle. Excitement of what's to come, sadness about what we see and what we feel and what we experience. So today we can choose the only prison worth living in. The only place of bondage that brings freedom. The only anchor that has the power to set us free. And that is the prison of hope through Jesus Christ our Savior. Jesus is our hope. The only hope, the only truth, the only life. So as we prepare to celebrate the arrival of our King, let's intentionally make room in our hearts for Jesus. Here are three ways that you can choose to make room for hope this Christmas season. The first, slow down and reflect. I do not like slow. I eat fast. I talk fast. I walk fast. I drive fast. (laughs) But I am learning the beauty and the progress and the peace and the rest and slowness. Jesus hurried nowhere. he was the most effective person that's ever walked this earth. I was listening to a podcast by the author of The the, uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a book I took one year to decide to read because I I knew it was going to tell me to slow down. (laughs) So I'm finally reading it, and in this podcast he says that we don't learn from experience, we learn from our reflection on what we experience. And it clicked for me. I said, oh, that's, that's why me and so many others can make the same mistake over and over. Because we're experiencing the same thing without reflecting on the lessons that Christ is trying to teach us through those experiences. We can't do that when we're moving fast and we're always moving all the time. My second point is to pray more. I don't care how much you pray in here, pray more. <laughs> you can never pray too much. Prayer is intentionally making room for Christ in our hearts, and not just in our hearts, but in our life. If we don't pray, it leads to spiritual laziness. Spiritual laziness leads to spiritual death. Prayer is your lifeline. It's not an act of religiosity, and it's not just a ritual. It is the air we breathe. It is our connection and our communication to God. And I don't care what it looks like. One of the moments that I pray in the, every morning is in the car with my toddlers. And I make them participate. And it gets real interesting. But it's a way that I want to model for my daughters, as well as intentionally make room in my life and in my heart for prayer. And the third is to share in Suffering not just help someone in need, but share their suffering. There's something special about not just dropping off a meal, but dropping off a meal and listening to the story. Because the suffering is not just in the experience, the suffering is in the story. I always say that there's not a single person on earth that you will not grow to have compassion for if you just stop and listen to their stories. Share in suffering. Slow down and reflect. Pray more. Share in suffering. These were Jesus, these were the three the three things that Jesus modeled for us by the way he lived and the way he treated people. He came and he lived a life free of hurry. He lived a life of prayer. And he was committed to sharing in the suffering with the lost. So this week. I want us to commit to slowing down. I want us to reflect on the lessons provided through the example of Christ's life. I want us to pray every single day. I can't tell you how long, just make it meaningful. And we wanna be filled with the type of compassion that moves us to helping people who are suffering, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the lowly, the brokenhearted. Let's make room for Jesus this season. But let's not only make room for him in our hearts, let's make it easy for others to make room for him in their hearts. Let's share the good news of Christ. Let's clear the clutter in our own hearts. And let's commit To growing our community of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life, and we thank you for your sacrifice. We acknowledge that you are the only real hope, and that that is what makes you our Savior, because we could not save ourselves. As a matter of fact, Father, we thank you that not only could we not save ourselves then, but we can't save ourselves today. We could do nothing good apart from you, Father. God of hope, keep us anchored in your love, keep us anchored in your joy, keep us anchored in your peace, keep us anchored in your hope. Strengthen our faith. And Father, teach us what it means to live as prisoners of hope. Teach us how to be wise stewards of the moments that you give us. Teach us what it means to live in the middle, to clear the lies and to to, to, um, come out of agreement with the lies of the enemy and to live a life of anticipation. We love you, Father. We honor you with our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.